Welcome to the Weekly Deep Dive Podcast on the Add-On Education. Add Education Network. I am Jason's friend, Nate, here with the host of this show, Jason Lloyd, putting on his headphones. Oh, yeah. Put these headphones on, They're baby. are not even on yet. <laughs> We're Put them good. on. <laughs> oh, oh, here we are. All right. It's magic. What do we, what do, we do on this podcast, Jason? We take the uh, weekly Come Follow Me discussion and try to add a little insight uh-huh. and unique perspective. That's awesome, dude. That's a good idea. Hey, yeah. How you how you been, Nate? Other than I had to have this violent tooth pulled out of my head, I've had a rough couple weeks, man. Just physical injury after painful thing. I don't know. I I'm usually not not that banged up. No, I'm usually not getting beat up this much, but for some reason I've just been I've been catching all of it right at the you know, same time, I guess. Man, I am sorry. That sounds terrible. Should I get a gold tooth implanted? I mean, it's gold. Why not, right? I mean, do you think you would look dope? Yeah. Do you think you would... Uh, I, you know, I guess it also depends on location, right? I mean, is it, is it front, right in the back? Is is there any visibility on the tooth? Okay, so you have no idea how bad I want to get... I have a dead tooth in front that had a root canal, and it did turn kind of gray-black. I'm like, oh, man, how dope would that be? And then um, I'm pretty sure my wife um, told me that that's grounds for divorce. Grounds for divorce. Yeah, you better. So uh, it's in the back. This this other one's in the back. This first one I'm just going to have to let be just dead and gray and ugly instead of dope and gold. As long as it's not black, right? Like the uh... <laughs> Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I guess. What are we talking about today, dude? This week, we are talking Doctor and Covenants 115 through 120. Uh, it's going to take us to far west Missouri. Love the, it. the temple that's going to be built there. Filling in some gaps with the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, Adam on Diamon, tithing, and uh, maybe, maybe one or two other things in there. Okay. Somewhere in the mix. All right. But, but before we go too far down the road of 115... Uh, for me, oftentimes, if I give a talk in church, and I think I've got this all prepared out and ready to go, and I stand up and, and say everything, and I feel all good, and then I sit down, and it's not it's not even a couple minutes later, I think, oh, shoot, I forgot to say that, or I forgot to say this. And, and I think a lot of us are like that. Like, we... We, we, we get all excited, we put all this effort in, and we go up there, and then we we realize we left something out or we forgot something or something we wanted to add in there. Yeah, maybe. It happens for sure. It happens. That's <laughs> that, that tends to be me more often than not in this podcast. And last week I did want to hit a few things, maybe just one thing that I left out from, from talking about Salem, Massachusetts. Joseph Smith and company, when they were going there, the Lord gave them specific instructions to look into the ancient inhabitants of the city. It's kind of a, an interesting request. And, and by ancient inhabitants, I think uh, we have different definitions. 
In the Lord's definition, he was talking about the people that lived there 1600s, not necessarily the indigenous people or the ancient history of this going back hundreds or even thousands of years. I guess it is kind of hundreds of years, though, if you're talking about 1800s, 1600s, but it's late 16s, early 18s, so it's what they were referring to as ancient history anyways. And so Joseph Smith most of the time that he spent in Salem was not preaching the gospel, was not treasure hunting and looking for this gold. It was actually visiting museums and learning about the early history of Salem, Massachusetts. And you've got to know Salem, Massachusetts. The history is pretty notorious, right? What do you think of when you think of Salem? Uh, uh, Cigarettes. (laughs) Cigarettes. Just kidding, dude. Isn't that a brand of cigarettes? I don't even know. I was literally just trying to think of anything else other than the obvious thing, just to see if I could um, zing you. But <laughs> honestly, like I, 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 I got zinged. nothing, man. I got nothing. Just burning the witches. That's all I know. That's it. Burning the witches. That 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 is exactly what the history was, and that's what they were looking into it. So why would the Lord be so interested in having Joseph Smith and company going and researching about the burning of witches? And and I think it's critical. You've got this new religion that's that's being restored here on the earth. Uh, religion obviously has a lot of impact on on history. Uh, the Salem witch trials being a very religious or so-called under the guise of religion. This, this persecution. You look at the Inquisition. You you look at even the fervor of the Holocaust in in some aspect is being fueled by this this religious fervor of of punishing the Jews. Or you look at uh, the Crusades. A, a lot of bad things have been done in the name of religion in the past. And in new agents for the FBI when they graduate Quantico. Out of, out of Virginia, the first thing they do is they take them to the Holocaust Museum and have them look and, and see what happens when a policing agency gets out of hand. When, when the people that are hired to protect, to serve, if you will, to be the law enforcement, when, when they are not doing their jobs and, and things get out of control, and instead of protecting the people, they're hurting the people as kind of this caution. You have this power, and I want you to use this wisely. So that's that's what they do for every new agent coming out of Quantico for the FBI. I think this is the Lord's Quantico moment, if you will, for Joseph Smith and company. Here you are. You're starting a new religion. Look at what's been done in the name of religion in the past. Study how this has been abused, because I don't want this... I don't want this happening as you guys move forward. I I don't know. Here's a cautionary tale, if you will. And I, I worked with a guy, a great guy. Uh, his last name was Putnam. And in his family line, going back into his, his history, they came from Salem, Massachusetts, the Putnams there. And, and he was telling me in their personal line, he goes back and reads their, their journals and their firsthand accounts of the Salem witch trials. And it was fascinating because his family were, were some of the prominent ones 
as far as persecuting the witches and, and successfully accusing the witches. And he said they have it right there in their family history and in their notes that how they would select who they were going to accuse of being a witch was all based on who had what property and what they wanted. Because if you successfully accused a witch and brought them to trial and, and found that they were guilty, then you inherited their property. What could go wrong? What could, what could go wrong? And so early history of Massachusetts, people were being accused of bogus things simply for financial gain. So you've got this, this twofold problem. You've got this new religion, the name of religion, where people are persecuting people for, for worshiping the devil or not belonging to the faith. But then you also have this financial... I mean, Joseph Smith is over in Massachusetts chasing treasure because he's in the financial straits. And, and finances can be another huge motivator. And the Lord's saying, hey, that's great, but I want you to pay attention to the history here and understand this word of caution. The finances can't be so important that you're neglecting your responsibilities or that you're you're not focused on the real prize. And, and this religion... You can't get this 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 fervor where you're persecuting people in the name of religion either. Here's here's your cautionary note to set you on your way. Sorry, that was a lot longer than I thought I was going to take. It's all good. Thanks. Keep going. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with me on that. Let's dive into one fifteen. First off, the Lord says that it's going to be called the Church of Jesus Christ. And I think in light of General Conference last week, as we were going back over that and talking about um, President Nielsen's announcement that this does need to be called the Church of Jesus Christ is an important point. And it even goes back further than that, right? You can remember, Nate, in conferences even before President Nielsen where people were saying, you know, we should be called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We should pull away from the name of Mormons. Joseph Smith, when he restored the gospel and he asked the Lord what to name it, he says, this shall be called the Church of Jesus Christ. And going even back into the Book of Mormon when they had the argument in 3rd Nephi and the argument was, was, what should we be called? And the Lord says, you should be called my church. This is my people. So I think this is a significant point, a point that the Lord has made over and over and over again. And I am always surprised that Joseph Smith, as you look at religions that existed at the time that he was there, the religious fervor with the Methodists, the Catholic, the Protestants, all the different religions that existed, how was it, as late as he was to the game, that the Church of Jesus Christ was still available as a name for a church? Crazy. Yeah, no, nobody thought to say, hey, this is actually Christ's church. I, I don't know. It, it astounds me. Then even today, as, as the church was able to, to purchase the domain churchofjesuschrist.org. I, it's, that's, that's cool to me. That's more miraculous. It, it is. Honestly, that's more miraculous. <laughs> you, you, think I'm be, you think I'm just saying this kind of like flippantly, but I'm not. No, I, I agree. Yeah, I go. work. All I do is work with bands trying to think of a band name that hasn't been thought of before or register a website that hasn't been registered. You know, I mean, it's like I don't know how businesses and stuff find the money to buy, you know, domain names from the people that just went through and paid $7 to register every single domain name ever <laughs> so they could jack it up and sell it to them for $10,000. Honestly, the fact that we were able to get the Church of Jesus Christ. Um, domain name is no no small miracle. 
Absolutely. No there's, small miracle. There's a lot of credit to that. I, I think, if nothing else, you can see the Lord's hand and that the, the, the name of his church is available when everybody professes to believe in him and, and you've got churches created everywhere yeah. and yet the Church of Jesus Christ is there. And as you said, you can actually register the domain, thechurchofjesuschrist.org, and it belongs to his church. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Miracle, modern-day miracle. All right, next, um, he says, Arise and stand forth that thy light might be a standard to all nations. And we've talked about this a little bit, the light on the hill. What does it mean to to be a light or a standard to all nations? It's such a... We're, we're such a small church, and yet this is supposed to be the, the light, the standard. I don't know. you have any thoughts on that, Nate? Any 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 bits of wisdom you want to share with us on I mean I don't I don't know if I have any <laughs> I don't think I have any like profound wisdom or whatever but I do um I do love the idea of the lower lights you know and we sing about it in the hymn but that you you have you have a lighthouse which obviously is the massive light right it's the huge it's the huge um, bright beacon that you know tells sailors, "Hey, this is the way to go right towards land." And then you, but even then, you still have an entire coast right that has rocks and that can be dark and whatever. And the idea is that the lower lights are all of the 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 your average person that has like a little house or whatever, and they can light some candles or put up a lamp right. And that by itself, it's nothing compared to the lighthouse itself, right? The brightness of the lighthouse. But together, all of those things are just as important to outline like the coast for the, for the sailors that are trying to make it through a storm, right? Or that are trying to make it through treacherous waters. And the, and the uh, combined, um, no matter how feeble, right, those lower lights might be, they combine to be something that is truly saving saviors of men right yeah and so um yeah we aren't we aren't the biggest church in the entire world or, or by a long shot right we're not even close but hopefully together we can all continue to you know still be a beacon even if it feels like the numbers aren't there hopefully what we're trying to do and the good the goodness we're trying to bring in this world can still have a profound impact. Yeah, I I I knew you I knew you'd come through Nate. Look at that. Look at that. <laughs> so, if if you if you want a, a brief story, I I'm glad you brought that up as you were as you were counting that. It, one of my favorite hymns by the way. Um I I I pulled up a little story on that. So here, here, here you are, Nate, story time. More than 100 years ago, a well-known Protestant preacher, Dwight L. Moody, shared a story of a ship trying to enter the Cleveland Harbor on a very stormy night. The ship's captain could see the bright light of the Cleveland Harbor lighthouse. However, the lower lights weren't visible at all. The lower lights were the way the ships identified the center line of the safe entry to a harbor. Because the lower lights were not burning that night, the ship missed the entrance to the harbor and crashed into the rocks. Many lives were lost. At the end of his sermon, 
Moody said, brethren, the master will take care of the great lighthouse. Let us keep the lower lights burning. And that's where Philip Paul Bliss was inspired from Moody's sermon to write the hymn, Brightly Beams Our Father's Mercy. Oh, there you go. My favorite hymn, too. It's a great one. And, yeah, there it, obviously Christ is the bright light of the lighthouse. It's it's it, you can't outshine him, but the lower the even though it might not seem as bright, having having a lot of people collectively do what they can to reflect that light or to add to it as much as they can makes a substantial difference and may affect the safety of hundreds of souls. So keep your lights burning. Trim your feeble lamp. Trim it. Next, we've got the idea of the gathering of Zion was in order to create a refuge from the storm and the wrath which shall be poured out without mixture upon the earth. So first, as I was thinking about this, the gathering of the saints and the stakes of Zion as a refuge from the storm and wrath which shall be poured out. I could not help but think of the helping hands and, and the, the volunteers that are wearing their shirts. Like when we have disasters hit in, in Katrina or earthquakes or Haiti or wherever the case may be, who are some of the first ones to show up on, the, on site? And, and these helping hands volunteers. But how is it that they're able to mobilize and always get there so quick if it wasn't for the stakes of Zion? And having these stakes positioned all over the world literally has become a source of refuge and protection from the literal storms and the wrath of God that is poured out on the last days. Do you want to know what helps also? What's that? The church has a grip of cash. Seriously. <laughs> that, that, so for all those people that complain about this all the time, part of the reason that the church, part of, probably the main reason that the church is able to be there helping with food, financial aid, service efforts at every major disaster everywhere around the world all the time is, is because they're incredibly wise with their money and grow it and do amazing things with it so that on any given moment, at any given time, they we don't have to think twice about being able to go out and help. So that's awesome that the church is just sitting on a grip of cash. I, for one, am thrilled about that. Yeah. For what you just said. And for what it's worth, if maybe part of our keeping our lower, laps, our lower lights burning is being in a position where we can help other people. Uh, yes. Being in a position where we are self reliant we we figured out how to be in a position stable enough to help others not that you have to wait until you reach that point in life to be an example absolutely not I, there, there are other ways to keep your lights burning but also i think as part of that being prepared and able to serve in any capacity and and financially being able to go over and do something and give some time helps certainly awesome. the other thing i noticed here a lot of times when the Lord mentions his wrath being poured out on the people, he says, my wrath shall be poured out without measure. And we've talked about this, the importance of measuring and, and what measurement means. And, and I don't feel like we need to go through a whole discussion on that again. But in this case, they did not use the word measure. It, it uses the word mixture. 
And I thought that's it's kind of an interesting little deviance from it. And I said, I, I wonder if there's a precedent of mixture, uh, his wrath being poured out without mixture in the scriptures. So I looked it up. It does show up once in the book of Revelation when the Lord talks about the, the unrepentant uh, having to suffer. The, it says that his cup will be filled without mixture, and he has to drink from the cup. And it reminds me of Christ and the, the, the bitter cup that he wouldn't pass. But it wasn't referencing Christ drinking the cup. It was referencing the sinner that, that doesn't repent having to drink from this, this cup, this bitter cup. And so I looked at mixture, and I looked up the Greek word, and, and it, it's not necessarily mixture. It meant um, undiluted. So when he's talking about drinking from the cup undiluted or without measure or without mixture, now we kind of get this context looking at measure and mixture. It's that we're not putting in one part wine, three parts water, and watering it down so it's not so strong. This is unadulterated, unfiltered, here it comes, straight, concentrate. Concentrate is probably the best way to say that. That's what I was thinking when you said that. So that it's kind of an interesting way of saying that. It just means it's it means it's you're getting the full kick, right? Yep. Like you're getting you're getting the full, like yeah, undiluted, unwatered down, heavy blast. Yeah that 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 cup sounds like a doozy. <laughs> I love it. All right. Anyways, without mixture, un- undiluted, you're getting the concentrate, if you were wondering what that meant. Next, the Lord talks about Far West being a holy city. And and this is, okay, this is after they've been chased out of independence, so the Missouri experiment didn't go so well. You still have some saints living in Missouri, and now Far West is north of independence, and it's close to Adam on Diamond, uh, right kind of in that same vicinity as I understand it. And the Lord says, because this is a holy city, I want you to build a temple here. But, but the temple that the Lord instructs them to build here in far west Missouri is different from the temples they've built up to this point. So we, we've got the Nauvoo Temple, we've got the... Independence Temple that was supposed to be built. We've got the the Kirtland Temple, and the Lord's saying, build this far west temple. But he says, don't start building it until the following July. And, and he says, and, and and even then, don't build the temple, just lay the foundation. Hmm. And he says, and just the foundation and the preparatory work. So he says, don't even, don't even do it. Just get those cornerstones, cornerstones down and, and start the preparatory work to build it. And I want you to do it on July 4th, which is kind of an interesting day for him to say, sure. I want you to start working on this on Independence Day. And, but that's it. That's all I want you to do is just start this temple. Okay. And then he says, and then the year after that, I want you to work on it a little bit more. And he says, and the pattern of how you build this temple is going to be different than how you built the other temples. Because the other temples, if you remember, the Lord was on their case. I gave you a commandment to build this temple. 
here we are five months down the road. You still haven't done anything. What's going on? And they're being persecuted and, and they lost their, their mercantile. They lost their printing press. Financially, they're, they're restricted. They're going through hardships. And the Lord says, that, that, that doesn't matter. Keep going. Do it. Go in debt, whatever. Do it. Now the Lord says, I don't want you to go in debt at all. And I want you to take your time. Start just the beginning next year, and then the year after that, put a little bit more time, and then keep working on the temple until the temple is completed, but absolutely do not go in debt to build this temple. Different pattern. And the way he's describing this, it makes it sound like it's going to be this long-term project, like the the temple itself, this holy temple in Far West, is not going to, to be built for a while. And here we are, so this was 18, uh, trying to remember, 36, 38, somewhere towards the end of the 1830s. We're, we're coming up on 2030, so we're almost 2,000 years after, it's 2,000, we're almost 200 years after the fact, and the temple's still not built. And so that made me ask the question, like, what, what's going on? Maybe it's like independence, where we don't even own the temple lot, so we can't build it, Right? The church bought the Far West Temple lot in 2012. So we've owned it for the last nine years. We have markers that show it. We've got the cornerstones that have been dedicated. The temple was announced. So my question, why haven't we built it yet? You know, how many temples... Maybe I should have looked this up before we came. How many temples do you think have been announced yeah. Since 2012. Yeah. I mean, we had like, what, 12 new temples announced just in the last conference? Yep. One one of which, by the way, is Culiacan, Mexico. Oh, yeah. Shout out Culiacan. That, that is where I served my mission. I was in Culiacan for a year, and I'm still not sure I'll go back for the, the dedication what? of the temple. <laughs> oh, dude, don't, don't do that. I, I love Culiacan. I would love to go back. But? But I am also not a missionary. Okay. And and Culiacan is like, I don't know if you know this, it's like the, the drug capital of Mexico. Like, this is where El Chapo comes from. Dude, then go down there, go to the temple thing, and have a good time all in the same weekend, man. I'm, I, I'm grateful that the temple's there. They need it. <laughs> they need it to, to combat. It sounds like a dope weekend to the me. The power's... The, 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 the darkness that rules that city. It, it, by the way, I love Culiacan, and, and I felt safe there as a missionary. But going there now as a middle-aged white guy. Whatever, man. I went to Oakland. I don't want to be mistaken going for Going out a, there next week. I, I don't want to be mistaken for a federal agent that disappears in, in, in this. <laughs> Whatever, man. I Okay. If any of you are curious... And I'm sorry, I've 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 distracted. I've taken this way no, off. That's fine. I always derail this thing. It's your turn. Go ahead. I'm sorry, but if you're curious, I want to say it was El Chapo's son. So El Chapo, do you know who I'm talking about I when do. I say El Chapo? Yeah. You don't he, think I have Netflix? Say, <laughs> several of the drug cartels come from Sinaloa, Mexico. Culiacan is the capital city of of uh, Sinaloa. And, and this was the city that El Chapo's from. El Chapo finally gets arrested. 
They've yep. put him in a Mexican prison. Yeah, he escapes. And he, he doesn't just escape. He builds one of the coolest tunnels ever that that can fit a full-size vehicle. I think it's like a two-lane highway you can drive through this tunnel in and out of that he drives right out of prison. I mean, that's, that's just gangster, dude. Uh, yes. So then they extradite him to the United States. He's currently serving his time here. Oh, wait, we got him again? Yeah, we, we captured hey. him. We, we captured him again. U.S. of A. And he, he, so far, he hasn't escaped from the U.S. prison, wherever he's at. I can't remember. But down in Culiacan, I, I want to say it was about two years ago. Look it, look it up. It's an interesting story. The Federales, the, the Mexican federal police, capture one of his kids, right, Keep, keeping on the family business. And at this point, the drug traffickers flip cars light them on fire, and block every entrance and exit into out of the city of Culiacan. Get in a shootout with the police and get El Chapo's son back and tell him, yeah, this, this is our city. Don't, don't even think you can come in here and tell us how to do things. Can you imagine that happening in the United States? Because I can't. Yeah, just would, the idea of that, I'm just like, oh. Would the police ever surrender we would, and we say, would, no, right, not only no, that, we'd send your... in, we would send in the military and we would rain hellfire down upon thee in thy head. It's too bad that um, the Mexican government is not willing to do the same. Because it is a problem. It, it, there, it there's bleeds, a... That bleeds into to border cities in our country as well. There's a large problem. And, and, and part of the problem is I think the government's been... I don't know. It's a, it's a tough situation down there, and and the people don't deserve what they've been getting from Amen. from the people that are supposed to serve them. Yes, absolutely. all all the love in the world for Culiacan. I was super excited when I heard they were getting a temple. This is where I served my mission, and and if I get an opportunity, I I might go down and and look at the temple dedication. You can do it, dude. I have faith in you. <laughs> but anyways, going back to temples. How many temples have been announced? How many temples have been built? And yet, in Far West, we own the property, we own the land, we've we've built it, uh, not we built it, we've dedicated the cornerstones, and God said, I want you to work on this over time, however long it takes you, and build this thing all the way to completion. Why haven't we completed this temple yet? That that was a question that, that I asked as I was reading Doctrine and Covenants. Section 115. Do you have an answer? Well, my thought is this. Uh, as you look at where we build temples, uh, South Jordan, one of the first cities, if not, it probably was the first city. They got two temples there, right? Jordan River, and then and in, down in Daybreak, you have a temple there. It was the busiest temple in the world, hmm. and you had, to, you had to put another temple there. Provo, busiest temple in the world, right? You had to, you had to put temples based on how busy and how popular, not popular, how populated the area is, at least with saints that can visit the temple. So as they're planning these temple locations, it's based on the the support system. How many people are going to be worshiping the temple? How many temple workers are we going to be able to pull from this district to staff a temple, to keep it open, and and to make it financially worth the worth the opportunity to ha- to have it there, and so as I look at uh, Kansas City, Independence just being to the east of there and Far West being to the north of there, we have a temple in Kansas City, 
But do we have a population to support multiple temples in a region like that? And and the Lord talks about redeeming independence. And we we've you know, when we talked about the dedication of the Kirtland Temple, and we talked about the Lord's follow-through and and the, the terrible things that happened to that region in the Civil War, or the devastation. And and all of that, like the Lord, go back to the parable. He says, they'll tear down the towers, tear tear down the walls, and by and by it shall be redeemed. And so if everything was torn down and destroyed, and by and by it shall be redeemed, maybe the only thing we're waiting on for for a temple to be built there that's been announced since the 1800s that we're still waiting for is just the population to come and live there to to redeem it to to grow, whether that be missionary work or or whether that be people moving over there, and and I can't say that I haven't thought of it. If if I were to sell my house here in Utah, I could purchase a home in the region over there with cash and not have a mortgage. That sounds dope, dude. It'll save you in moving costs in the future. <laughs> I, I mean, what? Maybe that is the redemption of Zion. Maybe, maybe the idea that that now we have the financial ability to to move back into this region that has such a low cost of living, yet still has great economic opportunities, great employment, great jobs. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's the last piece of the puzzle. I don't. I don't want to say it is. I don't. I don't want to say. Are you I, moving, dude? Are you announcing something? <laughs> I I I've thought about it. Oh my I've, gosh! I've honestly you want to know thought who hasn't about thought about it. Me. <laughs> I keep thinking about it. It's just hard to leave Utah because Utah's so dope. <clears throat> I love the mountains. Yeah. I I, I love. There's a lot to love it's about Utah. Slow and quiet, man. And, and as I think about what I enjoy here in Utah, the company of the saints, being around people that are like-minded, I, the, I mean, the friendship that we have, the opportunity to, to have these conversations, I, I enjoy a lot of that, and I, I, and I feel like I'm not going to have that going out there. But then how are you supposed to get that if people don't start going out there, right? I mean, how does that—it's it, got to start somewhere. Uh, uh, I guess. <laughs> have fun. <laughs> I, we'll do we'll do the podcast remote. Do they have do they have the internet in far west? In Kansas City, they've got uh, in Kansas City. They do. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Kansas City was one of the first sites for Google Fiber. I will tell you, I have no idea about that, but I will tell you that Kansas City has some really good barbecue joints. Oh, amazing food! You've got the Chiefs. You've got uh, Chiefs are pretty fun this year. Yes, you got some fun stuff going out there in Kansas City. So I. I don't know. I I don't want to say I'm moving out there. I mean, obviously, I've got a family here. It it would be a very hard decision. It would be a... You have to feel... It's it's a pretty strong pulse, but I would also be wrong if I hadn't said I haven't thought about it. As I read Doctrine and Covenants, as I read the history of this area, and and appreciate this as a holy place, and and as we are going to read here in 116, the the idea that this is Adamande Amen. Uh, amazing things that should be happening here, and I wonder if there shouldn't be some excitement among the saints to want to reclaim something that is available to reclaim now today, something that 
that maybe our ancestor looked forward to the day where we could do it and, and financially maybe it makes sense now. I, I don't know if that's what the church is waiting on to, to dedicate Far West. As, as I was asking the question of, we own this property. It doesn't seem like there's any impediment to building a temple there. What could we possibly be waiting on? The only thing that, that sticks out to me is the idea that we're waiting for the people. We're waiting for people to, to fill in, to redeem it. And, and I'm certainly not trying to tell you, hey, everybody, go sell your house and move out there. I, I'm, not even, do that. I'm not even sure... I, I'm not even sure that's something I, I I would be willing to do, but it's definitely made me think and consider and wonder. So I, that's why I bring it up. Cool. All right. Far west. Far west. <laughs> not not so far west anymore. I know we're farther west. We <laughs> we went even further Dude, west. Maybe that's it. Maybe people just misunderstood what Jesus was saying when he said far west, and we've actually fulfilled the prophecy by building 7,000 temples farther west than Missouri. This is the place. Move on. That's what I'm saying, dude. We came out farther west. We cracked the code. Somebody call the apostles. Uh, But it's great that Zion... In essence, has been redeemed all over the place, and we have stakes, and we have strength, and we have numbers. We have it's it's great to be a member of the church just about anywhere in the world. It's it's a fun time to be alive. All right, let's go to uh, Doctor and Kevin is one sixteen. This is only one verse long, so I will read it. It says, "Spring Hill is named uh, by the Lord Adam on Diamond because said he it is the place where Adam." shall come to visit his people, or the Ancient of Days shall sit as spoken of by Daniel the prophet. So a few things here. First, the name is named by the Lord. So it's not like Joseph Smith gave it this name. It's not like anybody. The Lord said, this shall be called Adam on thy Amen. And in Amen, we see this in places show up in Doctrine and Covenants as a reference to God. Adam, we understand, as being the first man. And I find it kind of cool that he refers to him here as the Ancient of Days, which is a reference to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. And as far as the title, Ancient of Days, did I say it's a reference to Daniel? Or I should have said from Daniel. From the book of Daniel, Daniel mentions the Ancient of Days. Sorry. Ancient of Days, can you think of anyone that is more ancient of days than Adam? I, he was the first man. He is the ancientest of days. <laughs> there is no further west for That's for right. us to move from, from Adam. We have arrived. He is the ancient of days. So I think that's a great interpretation. A lot of people look at an ancient of days and they think of as Christ because he's eternal or God. So there's different ways that different religions have interpreted this scripture. Here, Joseph Smith is is enlightening us and saying he is the ancient of days, or in other words, the oldest living man, or not living, but the oldest man from here on earth, Adam, will return and and great things to happen here in this valley that the Lord names Adam on Diamond. Okay, Doctrine and Covenants 117, as they're talking about some of the people journeying up into this far west area, uh, he does talk uh, about them not being ashamed of the land and to come in haste. Um, I'm just going to maybe read some some of the verses here. Verse 7, Therefore, 
Will I not make solitary places to bud and to blossom and to bring forth in abundance, saith the Lord. And Adam on Diamon, far west, I mean, even to this day, it's still solitary places. Are we waiting for those to bud and to blossom? Well, you know, verse 9, excuse me, verse 8. Is there not enough room on the mountains of Adam on Diamon and the plains of Ola Sheneha, or the land where Adam dwelt, that you should cover that which is but the drop? Um, that, sorry, that you should covet that which is but the drop and neglect the more weighty matters. Therefore, come up hither unto the land of my people, even Zion. And then skipping over to 14, therefore, let him come up hither speedily unto the land of Zion, and in due time he shall be made a merchant unto the name of the Lord. So the Lord's telling them, come to Zion, come to this area, and I will make the, the desolate places, maybe not desolate's not the right word, the isolate places, the, the places that don't have a lot of people, the solitary places to bud and to blossom and bring forth in abundance. And if we're waiting for that to happen, maybe maybe the power lies within us. Just kind of adding on, I guess, from what we were saying in 115. That's all I'm going to say there. Uh, 118. Deals with uh, filling up the holes left in the apostles. Uh, this is a time when the bank fails. And a lot of people start to have problems with the church, to leave the church, and you had about four apostles at this time apostatize and leave the church with some of the issues there. You've already had financial hardships with the loan for the Kirtland Temple, losing the merchant, uh, the, 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 the mercantile, losing the printing office, losing your source of income, and yet still having debts to pay. And that's that's going to dictate some of these revelations as we're reading right through here. And a lot of the people that were enemies to the church would accuse the church members that were running the bank of stealing the money, misappropriating the funds, and it's just being corrupt. And then they accused Joseph Smith of not being a prophet and in, in being the one that organized this and, and directing it and not knowing that this is what was going on. Is, so there's a lot of blame that was being done and saying that these were mishandled. Later on, they do actually find all of the bank notes, all of the transactions and, and it puts to bed a lot of the accusations that there was not actually any fraud going on. There was not any bad things that were happening. What happened is a lot of non-members of the church upset with the saints would go up and buy as many notes as they could, make a run on the bank, and intentionally tried to run the bank out of business. It was ruined uh, in a large part by the enemies to the church back then. But this was very, very... Uh, faith shocking. It, it drove a lot of members of the church out uh, that, that, that lost faith, lost confidence in the church, and you lost some apostles. So this section right here is dealing with replacing the apostles and saying he refers to them as fallen apostles. Uh, verse 1, it says, Verily thus saith the Lord, let a conference be held immediately, let the twelve be organized, and let men be appointed to, um, to supply the place of those who are fallen. So it almost sounds like the people that had died. I let my servant Thomas remain for a season. So he talks about them. He talks about them gathering in the land of far west before crossing the ocean and going on missions over into the eastern countries, over into Europe. But in the meantime, let's gather who we have, fill in those voids, and keep the, keep the quorum 
stocked. Replace the, the members as soon as you can. Moving on, section 119 and 120, the last two sections, it's going to be dealing with tithing. Up to this point, no tithing existed in the restored gospel. The way they were financially able to do anything was all based on these businesses. The church was going to have church businesses that raised money to support the people serving in the church, to support the needs of the church, to build the temples and take care of it. The, these businesses were not working. The bank had failed. In independence, he had lost these businesses, as we mentioned before. And so the Lord, the, Joseph Smith is asking the Lord, what, what should we do to supply for the financial needs of the church? How do we take care of this? And this is where the Lord reveals the law of tithing. And I think most everybody is familiar with the law of tithing, the, the one-tenth, the tithe being paid to the storehouses, the bishop. But there is something interesting here that, that caught my attention that I, I hadn't really ever thought of or focused on before. I'm just going to read here. Uh, let's see. Verse 3, And this shall be the beginning of the tithing of my people. And after that, those who have thus been tithed shall pay one-tenth of all their interest annually. And that's that's kind of the, the law that we're familiar with. One-tenth of all your interest annually, whatever interest is supposed to mean. And, and I'm, I'm not going to define that or clarify that. We'll just leave it at that. But this is what, this is what caught my attention. Uh, this shall be a standing law for them forever, for my holy priesthood, saith the Lord. Verily I say unto you, it shall come to pass that all those who gather unto the land of Zion shall be tithed of their surplus properties and shall observe this law, or they shall be found worthy to abide, uh, or they shall not be found worthy to abide among you. Say, I say unto you, my people shall observe not this law to keep it holy. By this law, sanctify the land of my people. Um, going back to this idea of the surplus, if I if I were to read verse one, verily thus saith the Lord, I require all their surplus property to be put into the hands of the bishop of my church in Zion for the building of mine house and for the laying of the foundation of Zion and for the priesthood and for the debts of the presidency of my church. And this shall be the beginning of the tithing of my people. And then after that shall they be tithed one-tenth. And everyone that comes into Zion after, verily I say unto you, it shall come to pass that all those who gather unto the land of Zion shall be tithed of their surplus property first. And then they shall pay one tenth. Have you ever thought of that? What what does that mean to be pay all of your surplus, and then after that one tenth of everything? And how do you define surplus? You know how much, and it it's not it's not like a specific anything is given. He just says pay all your surplus to the storehouses, and then after that it's the one tenth. And today, we're all very familiar with the one-tenth. We pay one-tenth. But, but what was the surplus? Has that already been paid? Is that, is that just at the very beginning for those that were there? New, new people don't pay anything on their surplus. I don't know. It's just kind of an interesting little thing that stuck out to me. I don't know that I have too much insight to it. It's just something that, that I, I hadn't caught before. Last uh, last section, I almost said last verse, but it's about one verse long anyhow. The last, uh, last section is dealing with the disposition of tithes, that the tithes, how they be spent is based on the presidency of the church, the bishop, 
the high council, and they all do it according to the voice of the Lord. And I think we see a lot of transparency of that, even with conference when they have the audit report and here's the disposition of the of the tithes and how it's been spent, and it's all in accordance with the the regulations that have been sent. I, I think the church does a fairly good job in how they organize and and take care of that and understand that this is the Lord's money, and, and according to Him is how we're going to be spending it. So I'll close with maybe one last story. Somebody came to Joseph Smith and and said, hey, if this is the Lord's money, rather than paying my tithing, why don't I just take this money and go spend it over to help this person over here do something good with this money in a way that I see I can do it uh, more directly? And, and Joseph Smith's response was, I think that's very generous of you in spending someone else's money. And... and <laughs> And, and, and his point was, yeah, I mean, you, you can do that, but it's still not, it, it's not yours to spend. Like, give it to the Lord and let the Lord choose how he's going to spend it, rather than you try to dictate how you should spend the Lord's money. So it's just kind of an interesting little point that he, he taught through with that on that, that, that day, that example. Like Anyhow. It. I like it. Yeah, that's, that's all I got this week. Awesome. What are we talking about next week? Next week, uh, we're going to be diving into Doctrine and Covenants, uh, section 121. And uh, we, we, I think 121 we're pretty familiar with. A lot of, a lot of powerful, powerful things coming out of that. It's, uh, it's definitely one of the, uh, one of the uh, big referenced sections. Yeah, 121 through 123, and here we get that. That that quote from Joseph Smith, you know, where where oh God, where art thou? You know, is he is he hiding? Where, he's he's about had enough. And where at what point is the Lord going to stand up and redeem His people? How much are they going to have to take? Can't wait. All right, until next week. See ya. See ya.